This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. On Wednesday, the United Nations Security Council voted for a resolution calling for a humanitarian pause in Gaza and for the release of all the Israeli hostages held by Hamas. Now, if Israel fails to comply, it will be in violation of the resolution as well as international humanitarian law. The United States and the UK abstained on the resolution, saying they couldn't give it their full support because it did not explicitly criticize Hamas. We've been clear at the highest levels. Hamas's actions do not lessen Israel's responsibility to protect innocent people in Gaza. Joe Biden is facing growing criticism at home on the left, from some Democrats, and even from staff in his own administration, all of them demanding that he call for a ceasefire, something the president has said isn't for now a possibility. But what do voters think, especially those with the closest ties to this conflict? How do Jewish Americans and Arab Americans view the president's response to the 7th of October attacks? Is his stance winning over some voters or losing them? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. I worked for 21 years at The New York Times. Uh, most relevant to our conversation, I was the Jerusalem bureau chief for four years covering Israel and the Palestinian conflict. And I- Jody Rudoran is the editor-in-chief of The Forward, a digital news organization aimed primarily at a Jewish American audience. We thought we knew the contours of this conflict. We thought we'd seen this movie many times before, but we saw on October 7th, and we've seen over and over since then, this is paradigm shattering what's happening now, what happened on October 7th. And because our focus on this podcast is particularly about the politics of the United States, did you have a sense then of how the paradigm might have shifted in terms of America's relationship with the region with Israel uh, and the Palestinians. And did you have a sense of what you thought Joe Biden would do in response and what you felt he should do in response? Very quickly, I think on the Sunday, on the Monday, as we started to understand the dynamics of how exactly this had come to be, including the intelligence failures, I think it was pretty clear that there was an American role in that, in, in the sense that the focus on the regional deals, the Abraham Accords, so-called Abraham Accords, that had been a, a Trump administration focus and that Biden had kind of picked up on, and the talks that the Biden administration was engaging 
in with Saudi Arabia about doing a deal with Israel. Those things that had all taken, basically ignored the Palestinian problem, I do think were a significant factor in leading Hamas to take this radical turn. It was not a surprise for Biden or any American president to stand by Israel and its right to defend itself, but I would say the full-throatedness of that support. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people, full stop. There's never justification for terrorist attacks. And my administration's support for Israel's security is rock solid and unwavering. The very quick movement of um, American battleships to uh, back up Israel in case of further threats from other parts of the region. Those things were also surprises. And then I would say the other major set of surprises that have cascaded over the last few weeks that could have influence on American politics, we underestimated the extent to which the left in the United States had moved on Israel. We, we sort of knew it had moved. The dynamic had changed in the halls of Congress, and we knew it had moved on college campuses. But the, the extent of its movement in the open public discourse has been a surprise. Just on Biden and, and the extent to which you, you said the full-throatedness was, you know, was something you might not have anticipated. But let's go spool back to, as it were, October the 6th and where Biden stood in terms of Jewish Americans. How would you characterize the relationship Joe Biden had uh, with American Jews before this event? Well, the vast majority of American Jews are Democrats, I'd say liberal Democrats, but not far left Democrats. Something like 70% of American Jews voted for President Biden. Um, that was a strong showing, but not an inconsistent with history showing. And I would say Biden got a little help by the fact that most American Jews, aside from a, a relatively small, mostly Orthodox Republican faction, were pretty horrified by President Trump and particularly by January 6th. So he his his vice president has a Jewish husband. His children are all almost all married to Jews. So he has he has a lot of um first of all his politics align with American Jewish mainstream politics which are democratic and he has a little bit of a Yiddishkeit connection with American Jews. There's a there's some love there. And there's this great line that is always said isn't there that he feels this connection in his kishkas, a Yiddish word for his guts. He loves to throw in a little a little a Jewish touch and he has there's a rabbi in Delaware that he has a close relationship with and he you know he he knows American Jews as an important part of his political constituency he he understands us I think during the Obama administration when Joe Biden was vice president he was really the main interlocutor for Israel the main holder of the US Israel relationship Obama was not as trusted an American um connection as Joe Biden was. He also has a long relationship with Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel now, but that relationship had been very, very strained over the last year over the with this current government that was installed in Israel of just about a year ago, um, which is, as you know, the most radical right-wing extremist government in Israel's history. And Biden had been cool towards um, Netanyahu and Israel during this protest movement. He had not invited him to the White House as readily um, as as in prior administrations. And so that relationship was a little on ice and everything changed on October 7th. Not only did all of that fade into the background, but as I said, Biden stepped up with a kind of full-throated support for Israel that we really have not seen um, in a long time. 
As the war has gone on, there has been some pressure on Joe Biden to, in a way, dial down his support for Israel. As the civilian death toll in Gaza climbed, one senior administration official says that it has created, quote, a great moral anxiety. You've seen some 500 political appointees, uh, staff within his administration, putting pen to paper and criticising, uh, in a letter presented to his cabinet suite, criticising the extent of the support, suggesting that there needs to be some restraint imposed on Israel by the White House. And there have been reports periodically that Joe Biden, his Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, they are urging the Israelis to limit, uh, in that dread phrase, the collateral damage of the uh, their military offensive in Gaza. We have to rise to that responsibility. And so we will be talking about concrete steps uh, that can and should be taken to minimize harm to men, women and children uh, in uh, in Gaza. I mean, how what are American Jews making of that? Are they with Joe Biden or are they with the letter writers and the people who are saying, you know, this has perhaps gone too far? I think that most American Jews are grappling with this is a really complicated situation. You know, Israel was attacked in a brutal and barbaric way. And the idea of responding in a way that whose goals are to root out Hamas makes a lot of sense. But it is an unrealistic military goal. And it makes sense also that we are worried about the collateral damage. So I think, you know, the right place for America to be is to be supporting Israel in its response and in its self-defense while doing whatever it can to keep Gaza, I mean, I think Gaza is in a humanitarian crisis, but to manage that humanitarian crisis. So Washington has to play a role in pushing Israel to prosecute this war in the most humanitarian way possible. And to what extent do you see a generational dimension of this? I'm I'm thinking of those images that I saw of young Jewish activists wearing T-shirts saying Jewish Voice for Peace in, in Grand Central Station in New York, protesting, demanding a ceasefire. This could work on two levels, that there's a generational divide inside American Jewry with more young people feeling less supportive of Israel in its fight against Hamas. But also there's a generational divide, perhaps, that you see in the Democratic Party itself with younger Democrats. And I think you touched on this earlier, talking about the left, but with where younger Democrats are more sceptical of Israel, less supportive of Israel. Is this a generational divide that runs through both uh, American jury and also the uh, American Democratic Party? Yes, 100%. I would say maybe I would even add a third piece to that. I mean, I think it's it's definitely a generational divide within American jury. It's a generational divide within the Democratic Party or Democratic constituencies and a generational divide just broadly, just broadly on the you know people who might not even identify as Democrats. There was a lot of polling before October 7th showing real uh, shifts by generation in terms of support when you're asked, when people are asked, do you support the Israelis or the Palestinians more? The um, younger generation tilts towards Palestinians in significantly higher numbers. And when you ask American Jews and the younger generation just about their general connection to Israel, it is 
much, much lower in the younger generations. I think there's a number of factors to that. I mean, one is simply the distance from the founding of the state of Israel, from the need for a safe haven, from the Holocaust, et cetera. Just, you know, it's been 75 years. The second factor, I think, is this occupation of the of the West Bank that was declared to be temporary um, has passed its 50-year mark and does not feel temporary to anybody who is grown up with it as a increasingly permanent seeming occupation and including many, many civil civil rights and human rights violations. And the third is that this generation really is focused on a politics that is about human rights, a framing of politics that is very focused on colonization, racial dynamics, and movements focused on racial identities and intersectionality has defined the Israeli-Palestinian conflict within that framework. I do not think that framework is relevant to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or at least not in the simplistic way it has been sold to the younger generation on the left, but that is the framing that they have grown up seeing on their social media feeds and on their college campuses. You've told us how loyal American Jews have been to the Democratic Party, one of the most solid voting blocs for Democrats going back decades. Any sense of how all of this might affect how Jewish Americans vote in November 2024? Well, first of all, just historically, Israel has mattered very, very little in American Jews' voting decisions. Every poll has shown that very few Jewish Americans think about the Israel policy of who they're voting for at all. That makes a lot of sense, right? We live in the United States. We care about things like healthcare and education and abortion rights and whatever. And our our Jewish identities are only part of our identities as American voters. And within our Jewish identities, Israel is only one factor. The main factor in our decisions about who to vote for in November is based on how we feel about our own economic situation about three weeks before. That is what matters. Look, there's a year of campaign to go um, until our presidential election. And a lot of things can happen during those campaigns. And it's not just about who shows up and who they vote for on election day. It's also about who makes endorsements, who raises money, what happens in congressional primaries, where the pro-Israel lobby is very, very active. So there are some ways in which this issue may affect the dynamics of the campaign. But if you ask me, do I think that large numbers of Jewish American voters, as they are casting their ballot for president a year from now, will be focused mainly on October 7th and the aftermath? My answer is no. Analysts suspect that for Arab Americans, Biden's response will have a lasting impact on how they vote. And as a Democrat, I've been on the Democratic National Committee for for 30 years. It's worrisome because I think we'll have fallout in other areas as well. Um, Dr. James Zogby is the founder of the Arab American Institute, a national civil rights advocacy organization. Well, we began in uh, 1985, coming out of the Jesse Jackson campaign, which was the first presidential campaign to welcome Arab Americans by name. There had been Syrian and Lebanese involvement in previous campaigns, but Arab American uh, was sort of verboten. Political parties wouldn't meet with us. And then Jackson comes along and the community was so empowered. 
We decided to institutionalize that in 85 with a project that would both encourage Arab Americans to vote, get them involved in the political parties, uh, and then from that, uh, sort of bring our issues into the political realm. People often note when they talk about Arab Americans as a voting bloc that it is a relatively small population, but that in certain states, and particularly the one always people pick on is Michigan. More than 300,000 Americans from the Middle East call Michigan home, a state President Biden flipped in 2020 after Donald Trump won in 2016 by just 11,000 votes. And the town there of Dearborn, Michigan in particular, there is a large community there, which means it can actually be a crucial block in what is a crucial must-win state in presidential elections. So just give us a sense of how, before October the 7th, if you like, Arab Americans viewed Joe Biden. We've been doing polling on this every every other year, sometimes every year, for the last 27 years. And the community, like most other ethnic groups, uh, Irish, Italian, Polish, who'd come over here a century or more ago, have leaned democratic. That was their history, uh, in labor, in small business, immigration reform, et cetera. And then they began to become a little more prosperous and drift Republican, but always leaned Democratic. That shifted with the Bush era. The gap opened up uh, and it opened first to eight points and then it went to double digits. And then by the time you get to 2008, it's almost two to one Democratic, 54% registered Democrat, 27% Republican. And this is the post 9-11 period, the so-called war on terror, in which Arab Americans would have felt in some ways besieged. So George Bush said, don't judge all Arabs. Uh, the war against terrorism is not a war against Muslims, it, nor is it a war against Arabs. It's a war against evil people. But his administration did. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it took a toll. Uh, and it wasn't just the rhetoric, but it was the Iraq war and it was the all of the rest of the, the rhetoric coming out of the neoconservatives and the far religious right that shaped policies there. It stayed two to one for a decade. And then in the Biden era, the community overwhelmingly voted for him, 59 percent to I think it was like 27 percent uh, in the 2020 election. In the poll we did uh, about two or three weeks ago the numbers dropped into the 20% range. And on would you vote for him in 2024? The numbers went from 59% down to 17%. And one of the things we found was that dissatisfaction with his policy on this issue was across the board. Um, and it didn't matter whether Lebanese or Syrian, uh, Palestinian, Egyptian, didn't matter whether Christian, Muslim, whether born here or immigrant, like the rest of the country, his numbers have dropped, but in a very special way, I think over the, the last month or so, the numbers plummeted. If you had to pinpoint what it is about Biden's policy that has led to that plunge, because, you know, we can assume things, but we'll just put, nail it down for our listeners, what it is that about Biden's stance that has turned off Arab American voters in such huge numbers? It's partly Biden, but it's more significantly Israel the 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 intensity of the bombing the the cavalier attitude toward the civilian casualties and seeing the scenes of more than a million people fleeing south while i understand completely what happened on october 7th traumatized the jewish community and evoked the holocaust and the pogroms in europe one has to understand that there is a 
uh, a historical memory that not only Palestinians have, but the Arabs in general have of those scenes of refugees with nothing but a, a bag and their kids in tow fleeing for their lives and never to return. And, and now seeing the same thing happen again in our own lives, the respect of the trauma of one people and the ignoring the trauma of another people is, is hurtful. Uh, John Kirby has not served the president well with his dismissive attitude. He, he's the spokesman for the National Security Council, yeah. And it's just, it's shameful, actually. So, and, and obviously what the, what the White House might say is that they have since called, and certainly State Department, Secretary of State, for more restraint from Israel and for a reduction in the number of civilians killed. Is any of that cutting through with Arab American voters? No, and it's not because it's at best a timid effort to absolve themselves of crimes that they have actually enabled. And and that's, I think, the general feeling is that it's too little, too late. You, you know, and, and I've been dealing with this issue for 50 years and administrations since Carter have been telling me, we, we've urged the Israelis not to do this. We've spoken to them quietly about not to do it. And, you know, I don't want to point to Ronald Reagan as a hero because for God's sake, he's not. But after weeks and weeks of slaughter in Lebanon in 82, he finally said, stop. The people of Lebanon must have learned that the cycle of massacre upon massacre must end. Children are not avenged by the murder of other children. Israel must have learned that there is no way it can impose its own solutions on hatreds as deep and bitter as those that produce this tragedy. If it seeks to do so, it will only sink more deeply into the quagmire that looms before it. You don't give him 14 billion extra dollars as you're requesting. You don't support him at the United Nations whenever he wants to be supported. Netanyahu can set conditions and we can't set them back. It's devastating to the president as well as devastating to Palestinians. Devastating in the sense that people aren't going to support him. And I think it's something that I can't do anything about. Let's just get to the politics of that, the, the, where those votes will go. I mean, in your poll, I think 40% said they would vote for Donald Trump in 2024, which is a, a rise of five percentage points, I think, from 2020. And certainly would be, given the pattern you've said historically has held, that would be a high for Arab American voters. Do you believe that, that when come, come a year, I mean, we get the anger that's felt now, but 12 months from now, when the choice is actually Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, do you actually believe that 40% of Arab Americans, who you, a community you know so well, will actually pull the lever for Donald Trump? Number one, the 40% from the 35% from last time or whatever is is within the margin of error uh, in a small poll. So I, I don't see a huge increase there. Uh, what I see, on the other hand, is a plummeting of 42% or 42 points for the president. That's the concerning number here. I've been doing politics now for almost all my uh, adult life. Uh, and I've seen people go to Ralph Nader or Jill Stein or whoever else was on the ballot uh, and feel clean as opposed to making compromises. Those of us who are older know there are consequences. But if you're in your 20s, there's a sense that I don't care. I'm not going to sully myself with this vote. And that has always been a huge challenge for me in 2016 to go around the country and talk to people about this is not a question of Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton. It's Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. There's no choice to make. You've got to support Hillary Clinton. If I went and gave that speech now, in I'd be booed off the stage. And I have 
50 years of work building credibility with my community, and I'm not going to risk it when I know that it's a no-win proposition. So you won't actually go out campaigning for Joe Biden? I can't in conscience do it. Uh, my kids wouldn't allow it. My grandkids wouldn't allow it. Uh, and I have to come home and answer to them too. My community is hurt. And unless the president gives us something, it's going to be fracturing of the Democratic coalition. So let me fill in that question. What could Joe Biden do now to reverse this shift in the 12 months he has? Well, certainly he could be very firm with Netanyahu about stopping or else. He could put words and, and policy to the or else in terms of aid, in terms of support. He could go to the United Nations and be firm about a censure. He could allow Palestinians to bring what happened not only on the, the one side, but on both sides. Hamas and Israel should go before the International Criminal Court. Um, and then a, a, a massive reconstruction plan for Gaza that doesn't rely on Arab money. We should be rebuilding Gaza and helping people there. Muslim Americans, they're not identical with Arab Americans, but there's obviously overlap. Do you detect a similar drop off in support among Muslim Americans for Joe Biden? As people of color, yes. And that's where the the impact is being felt is with Asian, with uh with African-American. One of the largest component groups of American Muslims are African-American. After that is South Asian Muslims. Arab Muslims are down in third place in terms of numbers. Uh, on the Arab-American side, about two-thirds are Christian, one-third Muslim. So th there is an overlap, but there are different communities and sometimes with very different concerns. And just to finally sharpen the political question, we've talked about Michigan. Is it your contention that Joe Biden could lose Michigan over this and therefore, in turn, lose the presidency over this issue in 2024. It's very possible and it's worrisome. But Michigan and Pennsylvania might also be in play as another state where Americans made a difference. Where Arab Americans make a difference. Yes. I'm, I'm going to have a very difficult time mobilizing the community in those states and others uh, in this next election. It's a reality, a worrisome one. Dr. James Ogby, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thank you. My thanks again also to Jody Rudoran of The Forward, and that is all for this week. To learn more about the situation on the ground at Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, since Israel sent troops in to target Hamas, listen to my colleague Ruth Michelson on our sister podcast, Today in Focus. And in a terrible week for Rishi Sunak's government, do make sure to listen to Thursday's episode of Politics Weekly UK. The team break down the fallout from the UK Supreme Court's ruling that the government's Rwanda asylum plan was unlawful, as well as some cabinet and shadow cabinet comings and goings. So do search for both of those shows wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens. The executive producer this week, Nicole Jackson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.